Well, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 22 is where we're going to jump in today. And if you're not familiar, we're looking at the scripture. Most of it will be on the screen uh, behind me this morning. But we're starting a new series uh, this new year called Climate Control. It seems like every day there are multiple influences that come crashing into our lives that set the tone for how we think, how we feel, how we act, and how we respond. There seems to be some kind of news that throws our world into turmoil. Someone's actions towards us causes us to lose control of our emotions, or maybe somebody's words turn our hearts upside down and create unbridled thoughts of unworthiness and despair. We read some article or a post on Facebook, and then we have this uncontrollable urge to correct, argue, and debate, even though we know it won't change anything. Have any of you ever won a Facebook argument? Anybody ever seen somebody actually change their mind in the comment section of a Facebook article? But this is what happens. Like We go through life, these things come at us over and over again. And if we're not careful and if we're not intentional, our lives will be controlled by the climate around us every day. If we aren't careful, we willingly let go of the reins of our mental, emotional, spiritual, and even physical state of being to other people or to uncontrollable circumstances. And I want you to hear this morning, this is not how Jesus intended for us to live. It isn't how Jesus lived. Even though he seemed to face constant turmoil, constant conflict and misunderstanding and confrontations of all kind. So when Jesus was asked a point blank question to share what he thought was the greatest commandment, his answer went straight to this issue of control, of what's controlling the climate of your life. The way that he answers the question of what's the greatest commandment, two simple commands that Jesus teaches his followers, show us how to set the tone in our culture instead of just reacting to it. Instead of being controlled by the climate of our culture, he gave us two commands that will allow us to begin to set the climate for the culture in our lives and in our world. And these two simple commands, if you've been around the Bible at all, if you've been in church at all, you probably know these very quickly, the two simple commands, the great commands are to love the Lord and to love others. Love the Lord and love others. Nothing complex about this. Nothing complicated. No deep formulas. No 16 steps to do this. No 10 things to avoid. It's simply love the Lord and love others. It just takes obedience. Simple steps. Why are these the two most important commands? Is it because God has for some reason deemed that they are the most important to him and if we don't follow them, then we will face his wrath and retribution? Not at all. These are the greatest and the most important commands, not because they are what God needs, it's because they are what we need most in our lives to truly experience the pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope that God created us for. Following these commands don't make God happy, content, are delighted. He is already happy, content, and delighted. They, these things don't do that for him. Following these commands instead bring joy, contentment, and delight into my life and into your life, no matter the circumstance or the situation. These are not situational commands. It's not love the Lord when this happens. It's not love others when this happens. These are not situational. They are a constant foundation and stances to build our lives on. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to love God, love others, and understand why these two commandments, it says, depend of the entirety of the law. 
Everything else flows from these two. Each of these commands carry with their own obstacles, challenges, and rewards. But each are important, loving God and loving others. And eventually there is something that we have to work to do to just, this is not something we just have to eventually try harder at or to work to do. Instead, what ought to happen is this. Obedience to these two commands will eventually begin to flow out of our heart at the same pace that we allow the love of God to flow into our lives. A lot of times we see these two commands, love God and love either, and go, well, I don't, I don't know that I can do that. Like, that is a true challenge. Like, you don't know everybody in my life. You don't know the others in my life. Like, it's difficult enough for me to just love my spouse or love my kids, but my neighbors next door, you haven't met my in-laws. You have not met my crazy uncle. You have not met this person at work that is just the bane of my existence. How in the world am I supposed to love this person? But this is actually the reason, the reason that we're actually able to love the Lord and our neighbors and our enemies is not because of something intrinsically within us, it's because of what we've experienced in our life. It's not a natural ability. It's birthed in us when you and I experience the love of God through Jesus Christ. In my natural way of thinking, the only Lord that I'll actually want to show love and respect to is usually me. Right? It's usually me. I want to be the center of attention. I want to make sure that I am loved and loved well. And we put ourselves as the God and as the others that should be loved. I like to be that object of love. For most of us, it is not difficult to love ourselves and place ourselves as a central figure of our lives and even the lives of others. And so while we may at times be able to change attitudes or behaviors to show love or deference to the Lord or others, the ability to actually show true love to God and others comes when we have fully experienced the love of God in our lives. And I want you to understand one more thing before we jump into this this morning. Showing this kind of love to God and to others is not the means by which we experience salvation. Jesus isn't saying, if you do these two things, then you'll have my favor and you get to come into the kingdom of heaven. It's not the means of salvation. It is actually an expression of the salvation that we have experienced. He said, if you follow me, if you submit your life to me, if you surrender and walk with me, these will begin to naturally show up in your life. They will be an expression of the salvation you have. So what I want us to do this morning is look at this first commandment of what it means to love the Lord. What does that mean? I mean, that sound, look, we're sitting in church, like, I mean, this is a commitment, like, love the Lord. Okay, I'm doing that. I'm here at church on Sunday morning. Everybody else is sleeping in, getting ready for Monday, getting ready for brunch today. I even braved getting out when the seven train wasn't running and figured out how to get here. Whatever it is, I'm here this morning. I'm loving the Lord. But I want us to see that there's so much more depth to that and what it actually means to love the Lord. So let's look at this passage that we'll focus on for the next uh, few weeks. And before I read it, just understand the context. He's sitting with a group of Pharisees and teachers and lawyers, and they've been peppering him with questions all day, peppering Jesus with questions. And this is kind of the last one. One of the ones they're using to kind of trick him or see about his credentials that he can answer correctly. And here in verse 34, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, those that were asking questions, question, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And in some uh, other books it says your strength. And then verse 38 says, this is the great and first commandment. We often talk about the things that we love about the Lord. I've been in situations, uh, camps or conferences, and they're like, hey, let's just talk about what are all the things that we love about the Lord right quick. What are the things that he does for us? And people start talking about his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, all of his blessings, the things that he does for us. But the question this morning, and what this brings up is this, not is it what we just love about him, but how do we actually express our love back to him? This is what this command is challenging us to do, not just the less things we love about God, but to actually express love back to him. Not just to realize we are loved by him, but to love him back, not for his sake, but for our own. Kenny and I have been married uh, 20, 20, 20, 28 years. 28 years. 2000, the year changed. I was doing math in my head. <laughs> Imagine if all I ever did was told my wife, Katie, how much I loved her just for all the things she did for me. I love the way you cook. I love the way you work and do this. I love the way you, you know, all the things, just the things that she does for me without ever re re reciprocating and demonstrating love back to her. What would that actually be? It would actually be a selfish love, right? I'll only love you, what I'd be telling her, because of the things you do for me. The reason I love you is because the things, the key idea here is this, true shared love is both received and given. It's received and given. And too often when we talk about the Lord and loving the Lord, we get focused on just what he has done for me. When there actually ought to be a response, something that we begin to do for him as well. So let's look at these four things that are mentioned here, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how do they actually play out in our lives? <clears throat> First one says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The idea of loving your heart comes down to one key concept, and that's desire. That we actually have desire for the Lord. A love from the heart is the idea that we want to be with someone. We can't wait to see them. We can't wait to spend time with them. There's an overwhelming desire above all else to be with them. When Katie and I first started dating, we were in separate cities. She was still a senior in high school. I was a freshman in college. We were separated by about two hours. And like we did not have FaceTime. We did not have any way to like see each other. And there were two things I longed for as we were dating. One was like to actually see her to be in her presence, to drive home or have her come visit, to actually be in each other's presence, or then we actually mailed letters to each other. I remember coming home from class and the joy of like going to a mailbox and opening it up and seeing if there was a letter in there and like couldn't wait to get back to read it. And I would read it multiple times over and over again. One uh, time she even sent on uh, Valentine's Day, she sent me a letter uh, and she put those candy hearts inside. Well, the post office did not take kindly to the candy hearts and they crushed them up. It was like all eat up, you know, the letter was, but they still delivered. But I guess with all the sugar and candy in there, when they got to the mailbox, the ants had taken over and they were crawling around the letter. It looked horrible. But I wanted it so much. I'm like, get off of here. And I was clearing off the ants to make sure I could read this letter. It's just this desire just to have moments together. You've experienced that. Maybe it's in a, a marriage relationship or a dating relationship or even 
the kids or friends where you just desire companionship and to connect with one another. David wrote about it in the Psalms this way. In Psalms 63, he said this, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing your joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand uphold me. I would dare say that for many of us, this kind of overwhelming desire for God may seem foreign. Like we show up to church, we'll sing, we like the music, maybe even we listen to some praise music here and there during the week. But you know what David's saying here? He's like, there is nothing else in this world that can satisfy my soul like the Lord. It's like I lay in bed at night dreaming and thinking about you. I cannot get contentment, full contentment from any other place. It is desire above all things. He says his flesh even faints at the thought of him. Like I, I can't, that's a, it's amazing. Like I, I remember sometimes when I would have not seen Katie for weeks, so I would get home and like she'd come running out the door, I'd come around and it's like, that's the only thing I have. Oh, you're just flesh. Like you just melt into a puddle, right? I mean, this is what David is talking about. Here, this overwhelming desire to know God and to be with God. Where does this come from? It comes from surrender. Surrendering yourself to him and to him alone. It comes when we choose to allow our lives to be his. To say, I'm yours. I mean, this is the commitment you make in a deep binding relationship, in a marriage relationship, right? Is to, to say, I'm yours. You're mine. We are surrendered to one another. We get fully engaged, fully in. Comes with surrender. Then he talks about a different kind of love. He talks about a love that comes from the soul. We should love him with all of our soul. And what this means, the second way of loving him with our soul, it may not be this idea that we fully understand, but when I think of it, it's this idea of learning to do life together. Kind of like soulmates, right? That you're just like, ah, my life's not complete, and this isn't complete unless I'm doing it with somebody. I know when I experience something new or something unique happens in my life or some big great news happens or even some bad news happens, the first thing I want to do is share it with Katie, share it with my wife. Have this deep moment of connection with her by doing this together. It's not as fun to do things by yourself anymore when you have a deep abiding love. You want to do it with someone. To love God with your soul means that you begin to desire the things that he desires. Your passions will begin to line up with his passions. You don't lose your self-identity and become some robot that you have to have a certain fit a certain mold. It just means that when we love someone with our soul, sometimes we do strange things. Sometimes things that we would have never considered doing before become completely normal. I actually know a lot about scrapbooking. Like you wouldn't look at me and go, Patrick's a scrapbooker. I'm not a scrapbooker. Katie was for a long time. And like I learned a lot about what that meant and the things that she needed. And 
things that she would do to do all that stuff and all the tools that were required of that. You start doing strange things sometimes <laughs> when you love someone. But that just comes from this beautiful idea of doing life together. She does strange things now too. She likes things that I like. She enjoys things that I enjoy. It stops to be me and her or me and you and it begins to be us. And that's what a soul made. That's what loving someone with your soul means that you start doing life as us. Not me bending to you or you bending to me. And so we come together as us. There's a story in 2 Samuel, again, it's an example of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant home back to Jerusalem. And it is, as it's entering in, this is literally the symbol of the presence of God. They are bringing it been away, and they are bringing it home again. And it says, as they entered into the city, David danced before the presence of the Lord, basically dancing with God as he is coming in. And he said he had on nothing but a loincloth. He wanted hardly anything to separate him from God. And his wife at the time got mad at him. She said, you are making a fool of yourself. You are a king. You are to be respected. And you're out here dancing in the streets, half-naked, going crazy. You are a fool. And I love David's response. He basically said, may I have even become more undignified than this? Because if that's what it takes, if doing something strange and odd allows my soul to connect deeper with God, I'll do it. I'll do it because of what he's done for me. How does this happen? It happens with submission. When we stop looking at God as a killjoy in our life and instead as the source of joy, in our life. Submission is an act of choice. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like, oh yeah, I became a Christian on this day this many years ago. It was the start of it, but it is a constant choice in our life to choose to put ourselves in submission in Him as a position of authority in our life. It's not finding ways to fit Him in or not just regulating Him to an hour or so on Sunday, but is letting our lives become intertwined. It seems odd to not have him as part of every aspect of our life. That's submission. There's not parts we keep surrender or separate from him. We submit all parts to him. Then it says to love the Lord with all your mind. All your mind. And when we are challenged to love him with our mind, I'm so happy that this is included on this list because it means that we have the freedom and are encouraged to actually explore the depth of who God is. doesn't mean that we become a Christian, we have to turn our minds off, that we can't ask and think rationally. We have the freedom, I want you to hear this morning, to ask questions, even the difficult questions to God. When we don't understand something, when we can't see the reason behind something, when we don't feel loved, accepted, or cared for, when we, we don't have to sit back and keep our mouth shut. Instead, we are encouraged to ask, to explore the depths of God's character, and in doing so, allow him to prove his love, his grace, and his peace in our life. This is too often, I think, where we as a Christian culture sometimes push, push behind and say, oh, you know, you just got to have faith. You know, don't, that's what God wants, you know, silver lining in every cloud, or God will eventually work everything for good. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. And here's the beauty. Loving the Lord with your mind is actually asking those difficult questions. 
It's coming to him and saying, I don't understand. Teach me. Help me understand better. Again, the example of David. David did this. As David was journeying with God, he had many times when he did not understand what was going on. Psalms 13 is a great example of this. It says David again speaking to God. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long how shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Does that sound like a guy who's just like, okay, God, whatever. Whatever comes up, I'll just follow. It's not about following. It's not about losing faith. It's about strengthening your faith as you ask the difficult questions. Most people's faith remains weak or shallow because they don't take the step into the deep end and ask difficult questions and have those conversations with God. And you may say, hold on. I ask those questions all the time. Something goes wrong in my life, some difficulty comes, and I'm like, why God? Why, 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 why? We ask the questions, but here's what we often don't do. We don't stop and wait for the answers. We don't struggle with God. We don't go to Scripture. We don't sit down with other believers, and we don't take personal quiet time with God and say, I need an answer. I need, I need something in response. A lot of times it's not just asking. It's as much being quiet and receiving the answer as well. Loving God and placing your faith in Him doesn't mean that we can't ask the questions of Him. God doesn't call us to a blind faith. He calls us to a saving faith. He gives us the freedom to explore the relationship. Imagine if the day that, for those of you who are married in here, what if on the day you got married, that was the most you ever knew your spouse? Like that was the end. Like, okay, now we just have to exist for 28 years together. Like, I don't get to understand you anymore. You don't get to understand me anymore. That moment of connection and covenant together is the beginning, not the end. And the same thing, when we enter into a relationship with the Lord, it is the beginning of depth and the beginning of understanding, not the end of it. It's not the end of the journey. And too many of us look at that moment of salvation in our lives and go, All right, I've done that, now I just have to do whatever he says. Loving God with our mind is exploring the character of God by asking questions. How does this happen in our life? It comes from trust. Trust. Not a blind trust, but a trust that he will have this conversation with you. A trust that you can ask the questions and you'll get a response. People talk about marriages sometimes. They're like, oh, they, they argue all the time. And are they healthy or this or that? And people can look at different relationships. I would say this. One of the worst characteristics of a relationship is when couples stop arguing. Is when they stop having the difficult conversations. When challenges come and they start to move away instead of engaging each other on it. See, that's trust. Trust is being able to sit down and say, this is how I'm feeling. Can you explain this? Or this is how I perceive this. Can you help me understand this? The same is true with God. You want a growing Bible relationship with God? Ask the difficult questions. And finally, he says to love the Lord with all of our strength. 
The final demonstration of our love is by loving with all of our strength. This means that the desire we have developed, that the way we're doing life together and exploring the depths of a relationship begin to show itself in how we live our lives with a new and different resolve. We resolve to start living according to the ways of God, a new way of living. We again see this in David's life in a story we talked about just a few weeks ago with David and Goliath. Right? David had such a connection with God, such a love, and he had been through difficult times with God already. He had developed to a point that he was willing to act with resolve. And so when there was a giant in his life, he did not hesitate to move forward and take on that, that giant, that difficult circumstance. And the Bible is filled with stories like this. But I want you to hear this this morning. The great stories of the Bible aren't because the men and women of the Bible had great abilities or some special attributes that we don't have access to today. Instead, it came because they had great resolve. They let their desire to explore life together with God shape the way they thought and acted. Moses wasn't a great man inherently, but he had a great resolve to free Israel from slavery. Esther wasn't just a great woman. She had great resolve to ask the king for mercy for the Jewish people. The disciples weren't great men, but they lived with a great resolve to spread the message of Christ to this world. And how does this happen? That's when we begin to live with abandon. Abandon. When we stop allowing men to define success for us and instead allow God to define it. Here's what I mean by abandon. Start abandoning the pursuits of selfishness and instead abandoning ourselves to the love of God, which will radically impact our lives. Abandon the selfish desires, but then abandon yourself to the love of God that will impact our lives enough to allow us to begin to impact other people. See how these all fit together? This is how we're to love God in all of these ways. With a heart that has a desire for him, that we actually want him in our lives. And then with a soul that longs to be together with him, to start inviting him to every aspect of our life. And then a mind that is willing to explore with him and ask the difficult questions. And eventually with a strength that will help us to act out with resolve with him and for him. But the problem comes in our lives when we don't engage all of these. I mean, we take one or two or a piece. But loving the Lord is when all four of these are activated in our life. Let me tell you what happens in our life if we only try to do one or a few of these. If we try to act only with resolve without embracing the desire to explore life together with our Savior, it simply leads to legalism. Like, I'm going to have to do this, 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 and this. It becomes a checklist. This is what I have to do, and this is what I don't do. If that's all I'm doing, if it's all about strength and body and what I do, then it becomes legalism. If I just try to explore with God without a desire to know Him and act on His behalf, we simply become elitist. We become these educated elitists, right? I know more about God. We study, we read, and we go to another Bible study and this and that, and we're filling our minds with things about God, but we're actually not desiring to be with God. And we become elitist. Or if we just want to be together with God, and we don't really want to know Him or deepen and have a great desire. We just need him to show up on occasion. We need him. We end up being shallow. And we don't. We put him on a shelf until it's time to. We have a need, and then we pull him out. It's like an elf on the shelf at Christmas, right? You know, it's 
that thing you stick in a corner and people find it and he grants you a wish or we never had to do help on the shelf thank god i appreciate that but it's like you just do these things he's and we have god it's like god on the shelf and when we need him we pull him out shallow if all we want to do is have those together moments when we need him or if all we have desire is to desire god and don't really want to have it impact our lives we become hypocritical hypocrisy shows up in our lives and we get out of balance because we're just desiring, like yeah god i want to i love moments like this i want to sing i want to praise i want to i want to feel you right i want to just feel and experience this moment but it's actually not going to impact what i do or how i think the call to love the lord with all four of these things is to get all four of these wheels spinning to engage them fully in our life every gear coming together so my question of the day for you is this are you actively loving the lord are you engaging each of these gears in your life and when you do that here's what happens it creates a climate in your life that impacts how you think how you feel how you respond and it begins to give you the power and ability to do what we're going to talk about next week which is loving others loving others but if you don't have these going i'm going to tell you next week it's going to sound foolish trying to love other people it's going to sound foolish unless you're able to ask god the hard questions why do i have to love this person i got i need you with me while i'm trying to love this person all right all the different things that we need this gets us going to do that so today will you experience surrender are you celebrating god's presence are you letting him be the constant person in your life? Will you submit giving every part of him? Would you trust him enough to have the hard conversations? And would you abandon your desires for everything else? Not that we can't love other things, but and he, that's why he tells us, love other people. Would you abandon the selfishness and begin to abandon yourself to him? Today, my challenge to you is this, to intentionally love the Lord. This day, today, tomorrow, this week, this month, would you rise daily and say, today I will love the Lord. I will desire Him. I want to do this day together with Him. I want to explore with Him today and live with resolve in every moment. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come to uh, just a time of reflection, it's very easy in a teaching like this to grab hold to pieces and I, get, I, I, need, I need to ask you more questions or I need to live with more resolve or I actually need to desire you more but there's parts of my life I haven't invited you into to do life together with God would you help us today to realize this isn't a piece we need to pick up or pieces we need to pick up the process it needs to begin to play out in our lives. God, would you let us surrender to that? To begin to allow you, your truth, your majesty to impact our lives. And no matter where we sit today, maybe we're walking into 2020 with hope and joy and excitement for what can be new things are coming 
new jobs, new opportunities. We've got a raise. All the great things are happening. It's easy maybe to abandon you in those moments. Or God, maybe we're walking into 2020 heartbroken, desperate, full of despair. Don't know what's next. God, we can abandon you in those moments as well. Let your love, your name, and your truth be the fuel that processes this, gets this process going in our life.